Well, today's scripture comes from John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 through 19. We're going to be reading in the ESV. Um, we invite you to look that up in the Pew Bibles, or uh, if you brought your own Bible or Bible app. Uh, we're going to do a uh, responsive reading, an alternate reading, which means that I'll read the first verse, and we'll respond with the verse after that. We'll keep going back and forth until the end. And again, it's John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. Uh, we're we're going to ask you to stand as able uh, once you're ready to read the Word of God. If you're ready, uh, please stand. And may the Lord bless the reading of God's Word for us today. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's message is uh, we're continuing in this kind of theme of resurrecting. It's called resurrecting love. And so I I wanted to start today by talking about a word that I think um, really affects a lot of us. It means a lot of things to us. Uh, but in a very negative way. It's kind of a toxic word. It's, it kind of radiates a lot of uh, negative feelings for us. And just by projecting this word on the screen, I'm going to put it up here in a moment, I just want you to pay attention to what this word makes you feel, what just kind of automatically comes up. You know, uh, for brothers and sisters, for those of you who are coming out of a season of uh, school, and maybe some of you are waiting on your grades, I just want to encourage you, it's going to be okay. But this word might be kind of hard to see. <laughs> you guys ready? You ready for the word? You're like, oh, what is the word? All right, let, 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 let's, let's take a look at this word. The word is fail, 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 fail. That, that's, oh, that word, oh, oh. <laughs> it's a word we hate, Right? In this world today, I, I guess, like, you know, this isn't quite very hip or with it. I'm, I'm over 40 guys, but like a few years ago, people were using the word epic fail or the phrase epic fail, you know, to just say, like, you're not, you didn't just fail, you epically failed. You failed on a legendary scale. <laughs> it was epic how much you failed. And, and I think that word for us does bring up a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, right? Brothers and sisters, how jacked up is our grading system in America, right? You have A, and then you have B, and then you have C, and if you didn't do as well as that, then you have D, and then after that, we just skip E. We just go straight to F, F for failure, like, man, it's so mean, right? It's like, like, what, like, like we knew that you skipped E, right? It was right there. It was right there for you. But, but we just wanted you to know 
that you fail. You ever get that test back and it's got that big fat red F on it? Oh my gosh, you feel that on many, many levels. Now, the word fail for some of us could be like, hey, you know what? This feels horrible. I don't think anyone gets an F and it's like, oh, I feel pretty good about that. That is awesome. You know, or or anyone's like, hey, you know what? You failed. Right? They're like, thank you. Right? Nobody likes it. Right? But I've heard from uh, social researchers. They say that there are kind of two words that we throw around and we usually think that they're the same thing. But for social researchers, they kind of separate the meanings of these two words that we usually think of as synonyms. The words guilt and shame. And for social researchers, the distinction they make between guilt and shame, they say it's all the difference in the world because one is adaptive and the other one is maladaptive. What that means is one can actually help you to become a better human being and the other one just makes you want to curl up into a ball and cry, right? It makes you want to give up. It makes you want to just eat ice cream and Cheetos and not try anymore, right? It doesn't actually help you. It makes you want to... Go backwards instead of move forwards, right? So which one do you think is the adaptive word? Which one do you think is the maladaptive word? What do you think? I mean, one just sounds worse, right? Like, like, okay, let's try this again. I know we have the word fail here, but let me just say these two words. Guilt, shame. I try to keep my voice constant, but it's kind of hard not to say shame, right? It just, it just sounds harsh. Like even just saying the word doesn't feel good, right? And so what social researchers say is that guilt is often associated with behavior and shame is associated with identity. And so this is an example that uh, Brene Brown uses when describing this is let's say, you know, like you stayed up late playing video games or, you know, maybe you're out partying. And so the next day you're late for work, right? And so the boss calls you in and is like, hey, you were late again. What's going on, right? What is the response that you have to, to that? You can have a, a guilt response or you can have a shame response. So this is what a guilt response looks like. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have stayed up late. I probably shouldn't have partied, you know, on a weeknight, you know? That wasn't a good idea. I'm not going to do that again, right? It's all about behavior. So guilt is, I made a mistake. Shame is like this. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. What's wrong with me? Man, I'm such a screw-up. I'm always doing this kind of thing. I'm never going to learn. So the shame response is not, I made a mistake. It's, I am a mistake, And the word fail, for many of us, it is kind of a shame word. It's not just, I made a mistake. Of course, you know, for some of you, you can have a guilt response to failing something, to failing a test, uh, to failing, you know, something at work, to failing in a relationship, whatever failure there is, right? You can actually learn from that, right? You can say, hey, you know what? It's not that there's something wrong with me, but I made a mistake. I made some wrong turns here. I can learn from this. Right? But the shame response that, man, I'm a failure. I'm the kind of person who will continue to make a mistake like this. I'm the kind of person who just screws up relationships. I'm the kind of person who just can't learn. Right? That is the kind of thing that makes you want to curl up into a ball. That's the kind of thing that does not make you want to try. It actually sets you back. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, what we are talking about today is how do we overcome failure? 
Because in this story today, there's failure all over the place, right? Uh, well, this is kind of the recovery of it. So the part that we read is the, the, the end part. And we're not going to throw this up on the screen, but I just want to describe to you what happened leading up to this story, right? So this is the story of, of Peter meeting Jesus. And as far as we know, these are the first words that Jesus spoke to Peter personally, right? He met with the other disciples and he's like, peace be with you all. But this is the first time he's like, Peter. Simon. Simon, it's the same name, right? Simon was his actual given name, but Peter was kind of the nickname that he carried, right? But he looks at him, he's like, Simon, and he tells him something directly. And before this happened, what was the last interaction that Peter had with Jesus? Or, you know, the last time, you know, before the resurrection that that Peter saw Jesus? When was that? That's when Jesus looked at him after the, 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 the rooster had crowed the second time because Jesus had predicted, right? You remember this? At the Last Supper, he predicted. He said, Simon, you are going to deny, deny that you know me, deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus and everyone else abandons you. I will not abandon you, right? And of course, we know what happens. In the heat of the moment, Simon, when he's being interrogated by like a servant girl, like people are, he's warming himself by a fire. There's some guards there. There's some servants. And they're outside where Jesus is being questioned by the high priests and their council. And they're like, hey, it's an interesting accent you have there. Is that Galilean? Hey, you're with Jesus, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you, right? Peter, isn't that it? Simon, Simon Peter? And he's like, no, no, it's not me. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Three times, three times he denies Jesus, right? And that we know that Jesus, uh, Peter, I mean, that probably didn't feel awesome, right? Peter goes and he weeps bitterly when he hears the rooster crow the second time and he realizes what has happened. Jesus called the shot. He told him exactly what was going to happen and he still did it. He still crumbled. He still failed. He's like, Jesus, I will never leave your side. Jesus, I will be constant. I will be faithful. And he was anything but. He failed on an epic level, right? And here comes Jesus, and Jesus' first message. We, we, we went over this passage last week. Jesus says it three times. He says the words, peace be with you. He has come to bring peace. He has come to forgive. He has come to restore relationship, right? That was what last week's message was all about. And that was also extended to Peter, but this is very meaningful because this is Peter uh, being addressed by Jesus directly. But I want to show you just a little bit, because I think it'll give you a little insight into what was going on with, with Peter before uh, this, th- this particular part where they're warming, they're by a fire again, which by the way, that, that's important, right? It's by a fire. When was the last time G- Jesus was with Peter by a fire? When he was being denied, right? And so here's another fire. But before we get to the fire, we see that uh, Jesus had already appeared to the disciples, okay? So he already appeared to the disciples, and he's like, okay, now you go and do the things that I did. He commissioned them. So what does Simon Peter do? 
He says to his friends, okay, let's go make disciples of all nations. No. You know what he does? If you look at the beginning of of, uh, chapter 21, it says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. Does this sound weird to you in some ways? Do you guys remember when Jesus called Peter? What happened? He said, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what Jesus commissioned them to do. Go and make disciples, right? And what did Peter and his fellow fishermen do when they were called? They dropped the nets. They left the boats behind. And then they went to a new mission. To not fish for fish, but to fish for people. And after Jesus appears, right, which by the way, last week we, I felt like we kind of put a pin in it, right? At the end of uh, chapter 20, it says there were many other stories about Jesus appearing, but you know, we're just going to give you a little taste and, and so that you may believe. And it's like, amen, end of John. That was good. But no, the story doesn't end there. It's like John is like, well, P.S. One more story we want to tell you. Just one more story. And this is important. Why is it important? Because it seems like something didn't happen for Peter. Peter's still holding on. Holding on to what? Hey, draw your own conclusions. Remember what guilt does? If you're like, hey, I'm not a mistake. I'm pretty good, right? I I know who I am. But I made a mistake. Then you can just change the behavior. But when you think, I am a mistake, it makes you just not want to try. Why even try? Because I'm the mistake. It's not my behavior that's the mistake. I'm the mistake. I can't be a disciple. I can't be a fisher of people. I shouldn't be out there discipling anybody. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go backwards. That's what shame makes us do. And that's what Peter does. He goes back to something familiar. He goes back to fishing. I can't be a fisher of people anymore. I'm going to just do what I know. Right? And by the way, (laughs) every story we hear of Simon fishing, he does it very badly. Right? It's very interesting. There's more failure, right? There's failure all over the place. So the, the, the disciples, the other disciples, they're good friends and they're like, hey, we'll go with you. We'll keep you company. Um, and so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Man, oh man, it's been a bad week for Simon Peter, hasn't it? You know, he goes back to fishing and he's like, oh, that's right. You know, we left fishing because Jesus called us, but we're also kind of bad at it, right? No, no fish. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This story is very, very similar. It's so similar to the first story of when Jesus called his disciples. You remember that? It's, it's, it's very, very similar. He says, put your net into deeper water. They do, and they catch a bunch of fish, right? This is very interesting. It's almost like Jesus is recalling Peter. 
It's a second call. Hey, let's rewind. Let's start again, right? Let's start fresh, Peter. Okay, I am calling you again. And so it is at this that the disciples notice, right? This is not the first time they saw Jesus. It's at least the third time that they saw Jesus after he resurrected from the dead. And yet they don't recognize him. But they recognize the action. They recognize the miracle. And so they're like, it is the Lord. And Peter, when he heard this, this is also kind of weird. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, you know, people who are just, you know, like, I don't know. I saw this video a few weeks ago of this guy who jumped into a lake to save a dog. He, he was like, from Siberia, and it was like a cold, icy lake, and his dog, did you guys see this? It was pretty cool. And his dog came in with him, but you'll notice before he went in, what did he do? He stripped his clothes, right? If you're going to go swimming, you strip your clothes, but Peter does the opposite. He puts on his clothes. Why do you think he did that? What, what, what is it like to be naked? Before somebody that you respect. I mean, like, like, I mean, to be naked in many ways is shameful, isn't it? Peter is clothing his shamefulness before he jumps in to greet Jesus. You see that? Right? It's a very weird passage, but that's what makes sense to me. Because you normally would not put on more clothes to go swimming. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't put on a robe, right? But he puts on his outer garments because he is going to meet Jesus and he doesn't want to be naked and exposed. He's ashamed, right? There is just shame, failure radiating off of Peter in this passage. And so let's fast forward to the story here that Jesus uh, meets them on land, and he has the fire ready. It's not even that the, the disciples set up the fire. Jesus set up the fire. Jesus set up, in many ways, the recalling of Peter, but also he's setting up the scene where, G, where Peter last failed, right? Now they're by a fire, and he says, hey, come and bring some fish. Let's have a meal, right? And so come and have breakfast, Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here is the story that we picked up on. And this is what we call the reinstatement of Peter. If you guys have like subject headings in your Bibles, that's usually what is said, right? So now, brothers and sisters, I want to read this passage with you, but I want you to notice what is said and what is not said. The way we normally read this passage is this is Jesus forgiving Peter. So let's take a look. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, he uses his actual real given name, not his nickname. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We're not exactly sure who these is. It's not specific. Could it be more than fish? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the other disciples? But he's like, hey, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, You know that I love you. 
And he said to him, feed my lambs. Now, there is this interesting thing happening in Greek. Scholars disagree on whether this is significant or not. But I just think it's very interesting that the words for love are different in Greek. And the English, just English is very poor when it comes to love. We have like 15 different words for pig. We have bacon, pork, we have lamb chops, right? We have like, oh, no, sorry, that's not pig. <laughs> Ham, right? Just kidding. I just made up a new one. Uh, but we have so many words for pig, but we have one, one word for love. Just love. That's it, right? I mean, it's just kind of like maybe shows where our priorities are. <laughs> but at the same time, this is English, and we only have one word for love. There are at least four words for love in Greek. And so uh, here, Jesus asks him, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then the word in Greek that Jesus uses is agapas. And that is the, the Greek word agape. The word that you think of like the first Corinthians 13 love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, right? Love never fails, right? This is the kind of Christian ideal love that we have. Right, But the way that Peter responds, very interesting, he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he says, phileo. He doesn't say, I love you with agape love. He says, I'm fond of you. Phileo, that's like Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? I'm I'm very fond of you, Jesus, right? And then uh, he goes on to say, um, okay, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Second time, agapas. Simon, son of John, Agapas, do you love me? And he says to him a second time, yes, you know that I love you. The word here is phileo. I'm fond of you. And he says to him, tend my sheep. And he says to him the third time. It's very interesting. The third time, Jesus changes the word. He doesn't say, Simon, son of John, Agapas, do you love me with the agape love? He says, Simon, son of John, phileis. Are you fond of me? He uses the word that Simon was using. It's very interesting. It's like, okay, you don't love me with agape love, but are you at least fond of me? And so there's a couple layers going on here. It says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? But really in the Greek it says, are you fond of me? The the Greek doesn't say that he was grieved because he asked him three times. That's the way we always interpret it. But it says that he's grieved because the third time he asked him, are you fond of me? Almost as if Jesus is acknowledging the fact that Peter's love wasn't good enough. It's not good enough. He doesn't love him with agape love, with the sacrificial love, with the love where he would lay down his life. He's like, I mean, like seriously, look, look at what he says here. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, are you fond of me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I'm fond of you. You know that my love isn't worthy. You know that my love isn't good enough. And by the way, it probably was also because it was three times. Right? There's that, those two layers to it. It just seems like Jesus keeps piling on this fact that he failed. 
You failed because your love wasn't good enough. You failed because I'm recalling the fact that you rejected me three times. But notice what Jesus says each time. He says the same thing. Well, he says slightly different things, but it's the same message pretty much. He says, then feed my lambs, then tend my sheep, then feed my sheep. What doesn't Jesus say here? Jesus never says the words, I forgive you. Isn't that interesting? I mean, sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, Jesus, he's just kind of a man of few words. And we like to, to, to kind of like put into the passage what's not there. You know, I mean, if I were writing this, I would have Jesus give a whole speech. Jesus then looked Peter straight in the eyes and loved him and said, brother, I forgive you. Your sin does not define you, blah, 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 right? Like, I I invent this whole speech about how he's forgiven, about how he's unconditionally loved. But look at what Jesus does. He's just like, okay, you love me? You say you love me? Then go feed my sheep. By the way, the third time, he doesn't change it. He doesn't change the response, right? The response is always, Okay, then go feed my sheep, then go serve, then go love, then go be my disciple. Right? That's always the message. That's always Jesus' response, no matter where Peter says where his love is. Right? Hey, are you fond of me or do you love me with agape love? My answer is always the same. Get up and go do something. Now, brothers and sisters, why is this significant? I think for many of us, when we fail, it puts us into this place where we think we are disqualified. Right? We're like, I am a failure, therefore I cannot serve God anymore. Right? I can't serve God. God, why would you pick someone like me? I am unworthy. Peter was ready to turn in his disciple uh, clothes, right? And to just exchange it for the fisherman clothes. He was willing to turn in his disciple badge and say, I'm no longer a disciple. I'm going to go back to my old life. Jesus, I already know that I'm not qualified anymore. And Jesus, in a way, with the way he responds, when he says, okay, Peter, I'm asking you this question. Can you love me with sacrificial love? And every time Peter is saying, no, I'm fond of you. I'm a fan. I like you. You're my brother but I'm not willing to sacrifice myself yet. You know that, Jesus, you know that. And Jesus is like, all right, cool, let's go do this thing. He's like, what? He asks him three times, go do this thing. Let's go serve, right? Let's go love people. Jesus doesn't get caught up on Peter's failure. Peter gets caught up on his failure. Remember what I said last week. Three times, Jesus says, every time he meets with his disciples, the message is always the same. Peace be with you. In other words, we're cool. You're forgiven. You want to know how forgiven you are? Look at what I did for you on the cross. I died for you on the cross. Your sins are forgiven for all time. It is finished. Did you not know that that's what I meant? It is finished. All the sins that have ever been committed, they have been canceled out. I have forgiven you for all time. I don't need to keep forgiving you again and again and again. Peace be with you. We're cool now, Peter. We're cool. So the problem is not that Jesus hasn't forgiven Peter. The problem is Peter hasn't forgiven Peter. You see that? 
The problem isn't that Jesus hasn't forgiven Peter. The problem is that Peter hasn't forgiven Peter. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that he's forgiven. He doesn't believe that he's still qualified. Right? But for Jesus, he's totally cool. He's always been cool. Right? He's like, okay, Peter, that happened. Right? That happened. You fell short. But you know what? Let's get up and let's do this. Very interesting the way this passage ends. Again, this passage is not the end the way that, that I, I would want it to. Again, I would want like this great speech where Jesus just spells everything out. It's like, I love you. I will always be with you. I will always forgive you. But instead, he says something kind of weird, right? So let's take a look at what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. What? <laughs> it's not very inspirational. What the heck does that mean? But the, the, the writer of the Gospel of John helpfully tells us what this means. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What, what is this all about? Remember what happened at the Lord's Supper when Jesus said that Peter was going to deny Jesus, Right? That Peter said, no, no, Lord, I will not deny you. When everyone else falls away, I will go to the end, even if it costs me my life. I have agape love, right? That's what he's saying. I love you so much that I'm willing to give my life for you. And Jesus is like, really? Because this very night, you're going to deny me three times. And he did, right? But what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that at some point, Peter is going to be martyred, right? He's going to be killed for the faith. At the end of his life, he will give his life for the gospel. And what legend tells us is that Peter did not want to be crucified right side up. This is the legend. We don't really know if this is true. But he didn't feel like he was worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. Right? But what is Jesus saying? He's saying to Peter, Peter, you don't think that you can be faithful, but one day you will be. You, you, like, you, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, your faith was such where you thought that you were able to give your life for me. You're not there yet. But someday you will be. Someday you will be. Someday your faith will be strong enough. You will be faithful. I remember the things that Jesus would say about Peter. He's already told him, Peter, I'm naming you. Well, I'm, I think that's a fitting nickname, the rock. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. What is a rock? A rock is solid, right? A, a, a rock doesn't crumble. A rock is reliable. A rock is dependable. And Jesus is like, that's you. And, and, and I mentioned this last week, but it's almost like you can almost hear the disciples snickering. <laughs> really? <laughs> Peter's a rock? Yeah, right. You should have named him Sponge, right? Like, this is a horrible nickname for Peter. He's so not constant. He's like the least reliable guy. He's such a hothead. And he puts his foot in his mouth. And he thinks he has faith, but he's always running into trouble. And his mouth is always outrunning his faith. That was Peter. But Jesus says, that's not always going to be you. You will be faithful. 
You will glorify me in your death, as you said you would. Yes, you will be faithful someday, right? But right now, all you got to do is follow me. All you got to do is the next thing. This is the thing for many of us. What shame does is it stops us in our tracks. It keeps us from living the Christian life. And for many of us, this is the message that we hear. If I'm a failure, then when I fail, it confirms that I'm a failure. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm never going to get better, right? And so it just stops us in our tracks. We think that one failure means we are failures. But when you look at the disciples, they failed all over the place, right? They failed all the time. And Jesus' message to them is like, okay, do you love me? He's like, yeah, kind (laughs) of, good enough. Come and follow me. Come and serve. Go and love people. This is what I'm calling you to do. Jesus did not call perfect disciples. He called disciples who are in process. And you know what? That's really good news for you and me. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not perfect. Are you? (laughs) Have you been able to love God perfectly? Probably not. Maybe there's some of you, I don't know, like you were inspired by a sermon once. Like, you know what? I'm going to go serve the Lord. I'm going to go serve the Lord. I'm going to go, you know, teach a Bible study. I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to forgive someone that wronged me. I'm going to go reach out to that old friend. And I don't know, brothers and sisters, I don't know what your story is. But if you're anything like me, maybe it didn't go so well. I remember there's this one time where... Uh, I felt like God was telling me to reach out to someone in my ministry when I was in college who just seemed lonely, and he was like very, very socially awkward. And I reached out to this guy, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but it didn't end well. <laughs> and it really ended with him kind of roping me into this, this scheme to talk to this girl that he was kind of stalking, and I got in the middle of it. I'm like, what am I doing? What is going on? I, I, I let him borrow like a hundred bucks. He never paid me back. I'm like, what, 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 what just happened here? And I remember at the end of this saga of trying to love this person. And I was like, man, I'm really bad at this. God, did I even hear that right? That you're calling me to love this person? Because I just screwed it up all over the place. It made me not want to reach out to other people. It made me not want to love people. And I wonder what Jesus would have said to me in that moment. I wonder what Jesus would say to you in your moments of failure. Maybe he would say something similar to what uh, uh, Jesus said to Peter. Steve, son of Sunjay. <laughs> right? John, son of Matthew. Do you love me? And maybe you're like, well, kind of. It's like, good enough. Follow me. Go love people. Go break some more eggs. Keep trying. Because Jesus' message isn't just, Peter, keep on failing until you get it straight. Jesus' message always is this. I am with you. I'm with you. Even in the screw-ups, he's with him. And by the way, I mean, I'm not going to get into all of it, but do you think after this, Peter never made a mistake again? Oh, no, he made lots of mistakes. Actually, Paul and Peter had a big fallout because Peter was still making mistakes. He didn't want to hang out with Gentiles. He wanted to just hang out with the Jewish people. He tried to act like he was cooler than the Gentiles, and Paul had to rebuke him. Right? That's in the Bible. So he didn't 
necessarily become this perfect disciple from here on out, but God was with him. You're not going to do this thing perfectly. But what Jesus is trying to do is he says, I'm resurrected, right? I have overcome every obstacle. And what he wants to do is he wants to resurrect our love. When your love fails, when your love dies, he wants to bring it back to life. And sometimes all you got is a little fondness. All you got is a little bit of faith to just try this one thing. And that's all you got. And Jesus says, I'll take it. You're going to do it imperfectly, but I'm going to do it with you. Don't quit. Don't give up because I'm not giving up on you. Brothers and sisters, if you have ever failed, you are in great company. And Jesus is saying to you, peace be with you. You're reconciled. You are forgiven already, right? And what I hope that you learn and that I learn is that for many of us, when we fail, we go into this kind of tailspin, Right? We're like Peter. We're like, you know, I, I'm just going to kind of hide in a cave for a little bit. Just kind of lick my wounds. Right? And Jesus is saying, like, seriously, Peter, no big deal. Just get up, do it again. Get up, do it again. You're okay. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. Remember, peace is already with you. You're already forgiven. It is already finished. So let's go do this thing. And know that because I am with you, not because you're so good, not because you're going to figure this out, but because I am faithful, you will be faithful too. That is the message, right? And so, brothers and sisters, I think it's very fitting. As uh, you know, a lot of people have said, it's very interesting, the meal that we have here. We got fish that, that symbolizes discipleship, right? It's the calling to discipleship. And that we have bread which symbolizes, in many ways, the Last Supper, the communion table that we are all called to. And so when we call people to the communion table, we are calling imperfect people. If you're an imperfect person, raise your hand. Just kidding. We're all imperfect. You should all be raising your hand, right? We are all called to this table. And so we're going to go into our time of communion. Can I ask the ushers to come up and assist with the elements here?